Welcome to the Runway VC Podcast, a podcast where we talk with experts and disruptors about how they're influencing the future of aviation and travel. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is your captain speaking. We are currently at a Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Runway VC Podcast. On this episode, we're talking with Paul Papadimitrio, which some of you may know from his Layovers podcast. Uh, I'm not going to give too much of an introduction to this episode because our conversation kind of goes all over the place, but I will preface it by mentioning that we start off talking about what the hell a futurist actually does and then end it kind of like most conversations end when you talk about the future of any industry, but particularly the future of aviation, uh, and that frames it up as basically George Orwell's worst nightmare. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Paul. Hey, Paul, how's it going? Hey, how are you? I'm doing well, doing well. So where are you uh, today? Well, today, I'm from, for once, I'm at where I actually reside in London. I'm slightly ahead of you in terms of time zone. Uh, yeah, so, you know, the, the holidays are approaching, so that's why I'm home, because usually I'm more often than not in a plane. Right, right, right. So let's talk about why you are in a plane. Um, if people Google you, there are a few <laughs> pe- words that pop up. Uh, futurist and innovation scout are the two that stuck out to me. What the hell is a futurist? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, first of all, it's marketing, right? You, you have to get to stand out because how do you want to call myself? I can like a nowist or like an analyst and all these names kind of not really sound cool. And somebody at some, you know, some seven years ago called me like, oh, you're a futurist. And I said, oh, I kind of stuck with it. I'm not a big fan, but I'm just going to lay it out in a few sentences. What is a futurist? Uh, it, it's just looking out and trying to understand stuff, you know, asking the, the question, why, 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 why? I'm going to take one example. Uh, it's nothing to do with aviation. So you get it. You know, for instance, you remember when the, there was the Arab Spring in, uh, you know, North Africa and the Middle East. And everybody was talking about, is it like a Facebook, a Twitter revolution? And of course, we know it's a. Uh, lack of economic opportunity, lack of uh, empowerment, et cetera, et cetera. But if you look actually behind that, there's even more stuff. It's like the grain prices went up. There were droughts, especially in Russia. So Russia stopped exports. The Obama administration decided to favor biofuels. Thus, the crops in Brazil were going away from food and more to our biofuel. And all this like raised the price of bread. And the price of bread was one of the reasons why the Arab Spring started. This, uh, if you talk about United and the famous reaccommodation of United, that passenger that happened a few months ago, that's the same thing. You can just stop at the first, you know, in your face value type of explanation. There's a lack of customer culture at United, but then you can go the same way I just did with the Arab Spring and go, there's no correlation with the Arab Spring and United here, please, guys. <laughs> but is there, is it like, is it like a culture of entitlement at United because uh, at the top of uh, at management, because they were too big to fail, and they were they were never actually were saved numerous times, and that that led to that culture. Is it because uh, there's a, the their employees are disenfranchised because you know they ditched uh, the pension plans were ditched again in one of their savings of United. Uh, so and people say, oh, why do why do I work here anymore? You know, I'm I'm not being cared for by the company. It could be many things. It's simply asking why 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 why, and then finding strategies and understanding these. These, these outcomes for companies, and I, do, I give a lot of consulting for that. The innovation scout is linked. 
is simply that I'm on the lookout of startups, services, products, ideas, business models that, are, that can change the scope, that can change the direction of a certain company when they are, because, you know, everybody wants innovation nowadays. No, nobody understands what innovation is because they say, what is innovation, which is not even the right question. But they, they, they hire people like me to say, okay, what have you seen? What, what could we do to actually find a new product, better our, our services, et cetera, et cetera. So that's my job. And I'm just, since I've lived in many countries, I used to live in Japan, I've used to live in the Philippines. I've, I was born in uh, Geneva and Switzerland. I now reside in London. I've lived in a few other countries as well. I just have my client base is a bit all around the world, which is why I'm often in a plane. That was yeah. your long winded answer there. <laughs> I think an innovation scout, I think that this is a, a a trend uh, or an interest that a lot of big companies and a lot of staple companies are getting more and more into. So last year, you know, yeah. I interviewed um, someone from Starburst, uh, which is kind of taking a corporate side to research and development, right? So they consult with Raytheon mm -hmm. and Boeing and all these other different companies, and, and their sole job in the contract is to go out and find interesting smaller companies for the Raytheons and the Boeings to partner with. Um, so it's really yeah. interesting to see some of these staple companies um, almost consult out with what they're doing uh, to smaller firms, you know, in, maybe individuals such as yourself, to find these innovations because clearly they're not able to find it on their own. Um, and if they could do it in-house, you know, they, they understandably would. Um, so it's, yeah. it's interesting that even in aviation, this is starting. I mean, you kind of see that that makes sense for a GE, right? Where they're just so big that they want to, and, and they have so much money that they want to make sure they scoop it all up. Uh, right. Even Disney and, and the, the big companies that are usually leading the way in innovation, but it's, it's super interesting to see that now aviation companies are getting into this um, and they're looking well, for, go ahead. Yeah. So, sorry, I was interrupting you there, right no, there no. because there's uh, there's another example and it's very clear. It's Airbus. Airbus had hired. I mean, he just left in July, but uh, this, there's uh, Paul Aramenko was from Google, and he's because Airbus said uh, we need also to adopt this kind of these uh, fail fast, fail forward attitude that the Silicon Valley has. And there's a lot of criticism about that. <laughs> statement here right. but i mean they tried and they hired that guy and that's why we heard certainly airbus coming up with plans like a flying you know flying drone flying taxis and you were like what airbus is coming up with the flying taxis what is going on here it's because they had hired someone like that who came with a very different attitude in, in this uh, very big corporate of course he left because you know all these uh, corruption allegations uh, at airbus and everybody's leaving now the ceo is leaving the ceo is leaving everybody's leaving but that's you're right. You know, a lot of companies, even in aviation, even in travel, are looking to find ways to do to innovate. That's the same for airlines. Uh, American Airlines, uh, Emirates, all these companies have done either small programs or ongoing programs to find ideas from elsewhere, uh, from people like you and me. Yeah, and I mean, you're seeing in 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 terms of Airbus. For those who haven't followed it, uh, you know, they started. Was it? Uh, it's either A3 or A cubed. I don't know. <laughs> A3, yeah, I think it's, A3. I'm not sure, you're right. <laughs> uh, their their branding right. seems to be a little off on that, but uh, basically it's their, uh, whether it's an incubator, accelerator, idea, whatever buzzword they want to use, but it's a lab that they're built <laughs> out in uh, Silicon Valley, yeah. and they're basically yeah. exploring all these different ideas, and, and you sh that's where you're seeing, what is it, you're, you, you mentioned the tax, the, the 
airplane taxi or VTOL VTOL taxi. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think you and I could go into a whole conversation about just trashing all the buzzwords that have come out <laughs> in, in, and out of, in and out of the uh, industry in the past couple of years. But, um, yeah, I think, what is it called, Valhalla, uh, where that was their program for that. They had the uh, removable or replaceable cabins, you know, that they that they yeah. patented. Um, that was another thing that the lab was experimenting with. And some of these ideas – uh, it's almost as if they're taking a page out of car manufacturers when they came out with their concept cars, right? So you yeah. see some of these yeah. concept cars that come out of whether it's BMW or GM, Volvo, et cetera. Um, that, that, that's an idea that they've pioneered for years, right, where they put out this concept car, get a few months' worth of free press, and then what is the next uh, I model in the BMW look like? Well, it looks like the last one, except it's a little bit sleeker with a nicer interior. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, but then again, there's more often than not, you see, because I was, I just told you before, I was born in Geneva, and the Geneva Car Show to talk about cars is where, because it's a neutral ground, there's no car manufacturer in Switzerland. That's where all the big brands would come with their concept cars. It was. It is still very well known for that. And you'd see that, yeah, these concept cars are usually sci-fi and it'd be like a, a wet dream of a designer. But some of the innovation in those cars trickled down to what we actually then use five to ten years later in our actually everyday car. I mean, I don't have a car anymore because living in London, I used sure. to live in Tokyo. I, I, I don't want a car. But that's, so that's the same idea probably with Airbus. I'm not sure that... We, we we ought to take at every single innovation the attempt to or disruption the attempt to at face value, but some of the stuff that's in there will trickle down, for instance, for the passenger experience. So maybe for training for uh, their new staff or for pilots or for – there could be stuff in there that at, at the beginning we don't see, but that we will see in five to ten years, maybe longer because, you know, you know the timeline for airlines is a bit uh, slower than cars, obviously. Yeah, and, and, and Boeing has taken somewhat of a different approach than Airbus has, is rather than starting an, an innovation lab, um, they are doing, you know, they've got their now investment fund, Horizon X, um, which, yeah. you know, that was a big deal when they announced Horizon X, and, and Boeing's going to be, you know, the headlines were Boeing's going to be investing in startup companies, et cetera, and I, I kept reading all this and thinking, well, okay, they they may have started a formal investment fund, but let's not act for a second that Boeing hasn't been investing in companies <laughs> since yeah. they became Boeing. I mean, that's just what corporations yeah. do. Um, they invest, Correct. they acquire, and so on and so forth. So you're seeing you're seeing investments. Good marketing. It absolutely is. <laughs> and, and, and you're seeing investments that the one interesting approach to it, though, is they're, when they're partnering through these investments, you're seeing these strategic partnerships align. So you're looking at the hybrid yeah. aircraft they're invested in, Zunum, uh, based, mm-hmm. I think, is also based in Seattle. But when you look at the other investors in that in that round, or or their investors to date, it's Boeing and JetBlue's investment fund. Which, you know, yep. I think JetBlue is leading the way with their investment arm. And 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 our listeners have heard me praise JetBlue for, for their uh, thinking and <laughs> in, in, in creating an investment arm. Um, but that makes total sense, and it, it becomes more and more interesting when. You've got a company like Zunum, and that and their investment that Boeing puts in, it's maybe you know maybe a couple of million dollars, or and I don't know what the amount is, but that's small bets, you know, small quote unquote, uh, yeah. in terms of what yeah, it yeah, would yeah. take research and development. Now Airbus's response to that 
was recently they announced that they're partnering with Siemens and Rolls-Royce to develop their own hybrid engine. Correct. Um, now, yep. I think that becomes even more interesting, and, and this is, I guess, along the futuristic uh, or your, your futurist train of thought. Um, <laughs> but what becomes even more interesting is when you look at the newest partnership, which is 100% Boeing's fault between Bombardier and Airbus now, and you're looking oh, yeah. at on one side of the field, Airbus is investing in hybrid engines with Siemens, and on the other side, they're building, they're helping Bombardier build regional jets. And you know, regional is where hybrid's going to go for the first for the first round of, of implementation. And you think, well, absolutely, Airbus has set the tone. I mean, they're not stupid; <laughs> they know what they're doing. No, um, but that's that's what's fascinating about this industry because, of course, the stakes are very high. The number of players is actually quite limited compared to a lot of industries. I mean, there's a lot of start. You know, a lot of people are trying to. It's a dream. You know, travel attracts people. You know, attracts CEOs. Once you make your first billion and they haven't trust me well you want to build an airline because there's something super attractive super sexy about it though you i mean clearly you're not going to make a lot of money by building an airline but there's there's not a lot of players which also that creates these kind of dynamics you just talked about because this whole there's a the states are always by definition involved you just of course mentioned uh airbus and boeing which are the two ones everybody mentioned and then you have comac from china that is coming behind and we mm -hmm. don't know what they're going to do yeah. uh it, they are still they're still at this stage you know like like people were talking about japan in the 50s and the 60s where like, like oh they're just copying us well yeah well then you you fast forward 30 years and you have toyota and sony and all these big brands that have taken over the world in terms of of um manufacturing well, the same will happen somehow, some way in China as well. And Comac will is already poised to be a very big player because simply by the fact that they're going to sell a shitload of planes within China itself. But someday they will be the third big one, and they will also come up with innovation. And we have they all these players have to keep up with each other. And the states, this is where it's very specific industry. The states, the governments are always involved somehow in the background, right? I, I know that the U.S. hates to talk about subsidies because supposedly everybody else, especially in the Middle East nowadays, everybody else is subsidizing something, but everybody is subsidizing because by definition, you cannot, you and me cannot create an airline. We might be able to create uh, an interesting service, a product, startup that some of the big ones be looking at, but not to the, to like, which I'm going to switch subjects very quickly, which fascinates me nowadays is to see guys like boom you know the supersonic mm -hmm. i would have mm -hmm. i don't think this would have happened uh 10 years ago that a startup would be actually looking at creating a prototype supersonic plane it would have been either the military either a government or airbus and boeing that's it and suddenly we have these companies what does that mean does that mean that you know you have crazy investors believing in people like that i don't know I hope that it's not the case. I hope that these guys will actually, I'm still very skeptic. <laughs> I really hope yeah, they do yeah. solve it. But it's, it's, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating industry, but with a certain very strange dynamic behind it, which most passengers don't see because here we're going back and forth. We have the industry and what a normal you know, passenger sees, which is like, oh, this seat sucks, right? <laughs> right, the, right, right. It's a very specific, it's a very specific uh, industry. Well, and I think you mentioned subsidies, and, and I'm with you um, to an extent. You know, I think that there are a lot of direct, uh, more blatant direct subsidies when it comes to the actual airline yeah, industries, you know, in, in the Middle of East. Course. And, and you're seeing that, um, although the United States is, is, is 
not all innocent in that, like you mentioned, whether it isn't as direct as today, but it absolutely was before, you know, when, when yeah. the airline, when the airline industry was coming of age in the sixties where you had Pan Am, right. And that was uh, yeah. being completely, not completely subsidized, but it, but before you had the, um, a, a stronger uh, hold governmental hold, Pan Am was the yeah. fly, you know, was the airline for the United States, especially on an international. Yeah, the flag airline. airline yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, so that's but, all kind but, of know, gone. It's, it's it's very emotional, you know, because again, since states, governments are involved and people take sides, I still meet people to this day that tell me in the U.S. I'm only going to fly Boeing, and in Europe I'm never going to fly Boeing. I'm only going to fly Airbus. It's these people are rare, but it is sometimes very emotional. And when you have a flag carrier, when you have the company, the airline that is, I don't know, British Airways here in the UK. I'm not a Brit, right? So I'm not English, but I can see there is this sometimes love and hate relationship as well, because when you have your flag carrier failing you, at least seemingly failing you, people overreact to it. So there's always, you're talking about subsidies, and you're absolutely right. There was actually a Congressional Research Service report uh, made that at the very end of the 90s, that stated that did research about how much subsidy did the airline industry got in the U.S. So it's a U.S. report looking at the U.S. And it was 155 billion dollars of subsidies, and you sure. said they were, but they moved on. They moved on, and it's normal because I don't, and I'm uh, the, the because you went through their their regulation, etc. And the Middle East will get there. The Middle East is already suffering. It's not the growth that they had, you know, five years ago. It's already like becoming more traditional, especially Emirates. Emirates is, is the normal airline in the Middle East. Right. You can argue about the two other, about, you know, Qatar and, and Etihad. But they are, they will introduce probably a premium economy. They are ditching first class in some of their routes because at the end of the day, you know, it's nice to have, to, 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 to be this very posh airline, whatever term you want to use. And at, at some point you become a normal airline. This is what's going to happen. So they're just doing the same thing that he, it has happened in the U.S., but with a time delay. Yeah, in Europe, well, it's been the same. And then you have all these all the discussions about, you know, I just mentioned United and their pension plan, pension plan was the same with American and others. Again, it's too big to fail. And I get it, right? There was 9-11. There was other uh, big events that led to saving the, the these airlines or making them merge. The same happened somehow in Europe. You know, um, first the Lufthansa was able to also kind of not really ditch, but, you know, say some of their li liabilities in pensions were put aside and disappeared and whatever. <laughs> so it's right. It's these processes are because again, airlines and countries are no matter what, quite very much interlocked. You know, there's always interest. It's our airline. It's the, you know, American airline, although it's not like you said, like Pan Am, it's not a flag carrier per se, it's still very important to the US economy and it also represents the US abroad. Same as United, same these big airlines do represent what the US stands for. It's almost like branding. So by definition, it's always kind of muddy. This is why this, is why this kind of discussion about subsidies are fascinating, but at the same time are so emotional, it's very hard to dig into uh, and find there's no truth in it. You know, at the end of the day, it's uh, you take sides or you, like me, you just accept it as a matter of life and say, you know what, at some point, other airlines, even an Emirates, even a Qatar, even an Etihad, and tomorrow the Chinese airlines, because they will do the same, they will have to go through a normalization of their business model. Well, and it's the rise of middle class in certain parts of the world that are Correct. starting to yeah. evolve. And it's also just the way that, that innovation in general 
grows, right? So, and I don't, and I'm not saying right. innovation from a from a buzzword standpoint, but from a techno, technological growth standpoint. So you're looking at countries, right. even outside of aviation, right? So let's remove aviation altogether. But you're looking at countries that are now coming onto the internet, right? And so you look at the United States mm-hmm. infrastructure and the internet, and the speeds that we have um, at our homes are, <laughs> are fast, yeah. <laughs> right? Like we in the states think, oh, well, we've got this great internet connection, but it's it's when you look at what we're doing on our mobile phones and then go to places like South Korea, which yeah. have just, you know, this, what we're getting at home is what they're getting on mobile, but it's because it isn't because they're better at it. It isn't because they are more dedicated to it or whatever, but it's because they looked at what happened in the United States and, and the United States, we, in terms of the internet, we, we invented the damn thing. And then, and then blaze the trail with all the infrastructure and, and putting everything underground because that was the technology at the time. By the time South Korea decided that they were going to make their investments in the Internet, they were already at the mobile point, right? So they made all their investments in, in, in making sure that um, people could access from a mobile standpoint, and it better suited their population because there's yeah, absolutely. a, a lower-income right. population, and, and, and mobile phones are cheaper than computers. So, but there's also one thing. There's also one thing is you see that I will take an example even further. Uh, I was recently this past summer in the middle of, uh, really in the middle of nowhere in the Philippines, and uh, my 4G LTE, whatever you want to call it, connection was faster than in the in central London, and it's the exact dynamic you just mentioned. But it's also because there's no entrenched interest. There's no legacy. There was nothing before, right. and you have to build something in our countries. We have an infrastructure. And to go back to with aviation, the very interesting bit, because for me, the biggest disruption in aviation in the past 20 to 30 years is not the passenger experience, all the things I'm really, I love talking about and I love studying and I love consulting about, but it's really the low-cost carriers. They really yep. are changing the face of aviation because you can cross the U.S., cross Europe, cross half of the world for the price of a cab fare. I mean, my parents, I can... They had this thing, you know, where they were in, uh, when I was, you know, just a, a very small kid. I have all these uh, photo albums, and it would actually put the boarding passes and the tickets, you know, the printed, the old boarding mm-hmm. passes. I'm 42, so I'm not that young, <laughs> in the albums. And I can see the prices right there. And I'm like, holy cow, how much did we pay to cross? My mother was from Finland, uh, living in Switzerland. I was going from so uh, Geneva to Helsinki. I'm like, what the... It's crazy, right? And now you have in Europe would be a Ryanair, EasyJet, and all the others in, in, in the U.S. would be Southwest. And the Southwest, coming back to this lack of legacy or, or lack of entrenched interest, the rise of Southwest, which can be told as being a, a low-cost carrier, is because prior, prior to the deregulation, there was no regulation for intrastate right. uh, travel. And, of course, Southwest, because Texas being big enough, you had, mm-hmm. you know, these routes within and South Louis was born without any other trying to lobby their way or try to, you know, uh, block others, et cetera, et cetera. And they were able to create a business model that was completely new, which was low cost. And once the deregulation happened, boom, the rest happened. The same happened in Europe. Once we had like a single market for aviation in Europe uh, because of the European Union, well, Ryanair and EasyJet started like taking off super fast because it was suddenly easy to say, oh, I'm departing from anywhere and I'm landing anywhere in Europe. I don't have to depart from where I was originally from, Ryanair being Ireland or EasyJet being the UK or in the case of the US, Southwest uh, being Texas. So this is interesting because it's, 
innovation not doesn't only only come from the fact that we invent new technologies the technologies are cheaper and and probably you know running planes now because they fail less is cheaper compared to what they used to be 50 years ago but also because regulation allows us to create new business model and that's another type of innovation and for for aviation it's clearly low cost right and i think and and going on this train of thought uh, kind of continuing down this rabbit hole where looking at countries that <laughs> are learning from other countries before they build up their own industries, um, you're you're seeing, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you would have better uh, insight to this than I would, but I would expect that if you were going to start a low-cost carrier today, you would want to study what's happening in places like China and India, where they're getting a, a yeah. rise in middle class, but still not a whole lot, you know, they don't have the 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 mass wealth that is happening in, in, in the Middle East when it comes to Emirates flying, right? The $20,000 for a first-class seat one way or whatever the absurd prices is uh, to sit in a suite in, in the A380. Um, but looking at China and India, where they've got a lot of people with relatively not, not large income, but a modest income, if you will, um, that are more, that are trying to travel more and more. And how are these countries you know, how are these low cost carriers, quote unquote, evolving? Um, so yeah. I, I think it's, you're it's right. actually it's actually incredible. Yeah, it's and actually incredible because if you look at uh, yeah, go, go with your friend thought and I'll, I'll, I'll answer. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think you're right that the the Chinese um, now there are a whole other another issues when it comes to the Chinese economy that people can debate <laughs> and have whole other Obviously, conversations yeah. on. Um, but in terms of aviation, I think you, I think they are starting to make more and more of a push uh, to become a bigger player. And, and and the United States and all of Europe. Um, not that I want to lump a whole continent to compare it to another country, but <laughs> but in terms of aviation, yeah, it makes, um, makes sense here. Yeah, in terms of aviation, I think they should start taking notes and figuring out, okay, how are these airlines in these develop these these countries that are, I don't want to call them developing because they're far past developing, but um, that are, that oh, are yeah. coming to age in, in, in terms of aviation, how are they, what are their products looking like and how are they offering these products at a lower cost? Um, so it's very, it's going to yeah, be no, interesting you're right. to I, see. I, 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 I think I think I think I think you're absolutely right. I think that China is a particular. I mean, all you know, all countries have their own singularities, but China is a particular country because uh, there's uh, still some type of hindrance of traveling. So a, a Chinese cannot travel freely internationally yet. So the internal market is developing super fast. But also, let's remember that within China, you cannot just you know you can move from uh, San Francisco to New York and just decide to move and that's fine. In China, mm -hmm. you cannot simply move to a city. You have to have an authorization or permit to live to a city, meaning they're still controlling because they have this massive population. So there's wealth, but they're big, but you already have, uh, there's one, uh, the name eludes me, I think it's Spring Airlines. It's one of the low cost in China. And uh, I'll give you, the, I'll give you the, the, the website to put in your show notes, maybe if yep. you have to, to tell it afterwards because I don't have it in front of me. Literally, you can buy tickets within China for $1, like oh, a wow. full-fledged ticket in an airline. Right. It's crazy, but that's because it's, it's a numbers game. There's so much scale in China. There are 1.5 billion people, which out of which probably now 800 million are at least middle class or so can't afford to travel. And they have these big travels, you know, because, again, they move to cities to you know, to enhance their economic opportunity, but they go back to their families 
when, when there's holidays to see them, like a bit like Thanksgiving, you know, the huge Thanksgiving crawl that you guys have in the U.S. Like, you know, we see on TV, like major like roadblocks, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> because of traffic jams. Same thing happens in China. You have, that's why you have high-speed trains. That's how you have. But to your comments about, you know, Emirates versus China, I mean, at least the Middle East, I think we ought to kind of differentiate the ID because uh, the Emirates, so Emirates and Etihad both come from uh, the UAE and Qatar obviously from uh, Qatar itself. They are very small countries. What these guys did, and I'm, I'm going to talk about Emirates because again, for me, Emirates is the airline that is, in, not, not that the other airlines are not interesting, but they were the one that are really pioneered. What they did, Emirates, they, they didn't copy, but almost copied simply the the blueprint that Cathay Pacific in Hong Kong and Singapore Airlines in Singapore created. Again, very small countries that have no like natural resources. I mean, arguably UAE has some oil, but not that much compared to other countries, by the way. So they were like, oh, well, what can we do? We'll, we'll, we'll make it an open economy so people can install their HQ and we're going to make sure that people can travel here so we could these big airlines and transit here. So whilst on transit, instead of simply transiting and doing a layover, they might even like visit our country and they might set up a business. So Emirates did that. China doesn't really have to do the same thing. I mean, of course, Hong Kong is part of China now, but China as in China mainland is this massive country. For the moment, they have so much to look inwards one day, and that day will come pretty soon, I think, they will lift these uh, travel restrictions to their own population. And then, like you hinted at, our, our travel world will change completely. Because then you will see the Chinese arriving in masses. We already seem to see a lot, but they will arrive in masses simply as tourists in Europe, in the US, and everywhere else. And all the airlines will have to adapt to probably people that don't always speak good English. They, they learn English much faster than we learn Chinese. Let's, let's be clear here. But, well, yeah. <laughs> so that will change. And if you, ask, if, you, if you ask any airline executive, the big ones, you know, whether it's the Lufthansa, whether it's United, whichever, they will tell you that they are already preparing from, for the day that what China will open. And this is why it's, for them it's very important to keep the Chinese landing rights at you know, major airports, but also second and third cities which for the moment they can't access because, again, it's not a free market. You cannot just go, but they will because that will be a, a boon for all the airlines. Yeah, and, I, and you're seeing big – you're seeing the forecasting companies in the United States anyway, like the Boyd Group. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they're uh, – yeah. um, they, they're, you know, they're, for those listeners who may not, the Boyd Group is a, is a company that kind of predicts trends in aviation, especially when it comes to passenger movements across the world. Um, and for a few years now, they've been talking about the rise in China's tourism um, and not tourism into China, but tourism out, you know, Chinese tourists visiting um, other right. parts of the world, especially in the United States. Uh, so when you go out, mm -hmm. particularly out into the West Coast, San Francisco and L.A., um, yeah, you're yeah, seeing yeah. more and more uh, Chinese influence when it comes to, um, of course, you've got big Chinatown and, and so on and so forth. But more so from businesses uh, trying to attract companies to, or, or people yeah. uh, into their shops. And, and, and it's, it's becoming very interesting to see how that uh, economy grows and, and where, that, where that'll go. Because like you said, um, it is, is going to be booming and it's going to happen all of a sudden. You know, one day it's, one day it's not there and then the, <laughs> the next day it is there. <laughs> um, I want to go back to something. But you know, already. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. 
what no, no, I was just wanted one example, one example because I know we, we have to move on. There's other topics we want to touch. But I was in the middle of so Montenegro is a, is a small country which basically where Yugoslavia, mm-hmm. Yugoslavia was so Eastern Europe. And I was talking, I was taking because I like you know trying different airlines that nobody else takes. So I was going with Montenegro Airlines, and it was this old Fokker 100 German planes that they're not making anymore. I mean, I, I loved it, and I was in business class which, you know, business class in Europe basically is a normal seat with a, the middle seat free, right? There's nothing special mm-hmm. about it. But the the other five people with me were all Chinese. It was like, what's going on here? I'm in the middle of not nowhere because I have a lot of friends in Montenegro and Eastern Europe, guys. We're not nowhere. But I mean, this, is, <laughs> this was very much unexpected in terms of, and they were tourists. They were not business people. They were clearly tourists taking, you know, shit out of selfies and whatever. Right. Like, and, and I was like, my God. Means and this is just and they haven't lift, they haven't have lifted the the, the the these travel restrictions yet. So this will at some point in our lifetime, Chris, we will we'll see that and we will be baffled. Okay, go on. Let's move on to other. Topics. Well, I wanted yeah. to go back to one thing that you mentioned, just to kind of point out that um, for those who weren't or didn't pay attention to like you were saying or weren't around when Emirates and 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 UAE made their um, strategic moves to make the UAE what it is today, but it sounds like what they did in terms of bringing people to the UAE for longer layovers and hoping that they'll stay and hang around is very similar to what WOW has done with um, Reykjavik and, and, and the tourism that they are bringing into that country um, just by offering free layovers and, and being able to yeah. extend a layover for a couple of days if you're flying and then offer, uh, you know, adding that with a pretty cheap way to get from Chicago to London uh, with a layover in Reykjavik, you know, I can do a two day, two yeah. day layover at no extra cost, <laughs> hang out and, and, and see the sites and then make my way on to London. Um, it sounds like that it's a very similar strategy. Yeah. I think the, the, the luck that the, the the guys in the in the GCC, so the, the Gulf region in the Middle East have, is simply that they are at, they have ninety percent of the population in a in an eight hour radius. Mm-hmm. So clearly they were they were simply lucky because in terms of aviation, eight hours is a very sweet spot. You know, of course right. now you have these ultra long haul things, but meaning. But in terms of tourism, yeah, I mean, I went to, I didn't, I never took, uh, wow, I took Iceland Air myself, uh, but yeah, it's the same idea. Uh, it, will it be proved, will it, will it be proving, you know, successful businesses? I'm not sure, but for tourism, for sure, I, I have seen a huge increase in numbers and that's not, not like scientific of friends and relatives and, you know, acquaintances that have been to Iceland just because they use these flights and say, you know, let's, Day for two days and i think they've seen a huge boom there and it's a pretty cool country i've been to and I, I enjoyed it yeah i haven't i haven't been yet but um i've i it's on the list of places i'm, I'm going to go not that i want to go but that i'm going to go um and i probably will take advantage of this and i will say that on the other hand um that they are struggling in terms of because it's been so successful. So you're le- reading a lot of yeah, articles now right. of the over tourism <laughs> that's happening, and especially in this part, yeah. in that part of the world where they put a lot of emphasis on ecotourism. So they're trying to figure out how best to keep things environmentally safe and and preserve right. um, some of their environmental uh, tourist attractions while at the same time bringing people, you know, ad- adapting to the mass influx of people that are coming. 
Um, so, okay, yeah, I want to move right, on Chris, yeah. real quick. The So kind of not only are you um, a, a – Aviation. Stop calling me a futurist. Yeah. <laughs> not only are you I'm an not. aviation enthusiast, uh, but you also do yeah. something about it. This isn't just something you do. Um, I guess it's kind of a hobby, but you, you're more of a passion in that you also have your own podcast. Um, and so, yeah. tell us a little bit about layovers and you know what you all talk about uh, through this uh, through this podcast. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm also involved in aviation. I, as per my company, I do have travel and in within travel aviation and air travel in general uh, clients. So this is not mm-hmm. something uh, I talk about. But yes, I, I do have that. But don't, not only also have a work with you know FMCG and other types of clients uh, doing a lot of these uh, innovation scouting for for that's again a term I invented. It seems to stick. So why not? Uh, uh, yeah. And. The aviation was simply like you. We like we just did. We just talked because we like talking about this industry. It's a fascinating industry. Travel is cool, and I, my love for aviation. None of my family was in aviation, right? My father was a doctor. My mother was a nurse. I mean, there was no aviation within my blood or anything. But uh, I, I have friends of mine that tell me, you know, when you do these high school or primary school reunion, and they have friends tell me, Paul, you were, please. Since you were like a kid, you were always talking about planes. It looks like I've always been fascinated by planes. It's like a lot of kids are. Come on. The first time you see a 747, you're five years old, whatever. It's <laughs> freaking impressive. Yeah, it's crazy, you know. It's better than Transformers. You know, you see these big planes right. and you want to be in them. You want to pilot them. And, you know, come on. And hey, um, to, Paul, to, pass, first, to fast track to... My first yeah, experience with a 747 was seeing Air Force One up close and personal. So, <laughs> Oh, wow, wow. Yeah. My first... <laughs> My first, I saw the one, the 747 that was uh, carrying in one of the space shuttle landing in oh, Florida. And wow. I was four years, five years old. I barely remember. That's really kind of my, because, you know, the whole highway was backed sure. up and everybody was stopped simply looking at the plane landing. And I, I mean, it was not that close, but I remember that. Anyway, so to, 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 to make the story short, uh, there's this friend of mine. We do work together. Again, we do consult together. Alex Hunter, his family is uh, pretty much everyone is in the aviation industry. Uh, his father was involved with Cathay Pacific, with other airlines, uh, lived in Hong Kong for a long time. Uh, he's, uh, he's originally from, actually from uh, uh, California and now lives in London for the past probably 10 years or something. And we're, since we were working together every single day, basically, we're sharing news about, have you seen that news about this airline? Have you seen that news about this? Or every time we're simply like in a plane and we're like, you know, taking a picture of the seat, a look at the seat, what do you think about it, whatever, look at this quirk. And simply, one point, it was Christmas 2014, I don't remember now exactly, I told him, you know what, instead of simply sharing, you know, Facebook messages about that, let's put a microphone in front of, of us and just talk about it. And for some reason, that, that, that podcast became very successful very quickly because people are lucky we just did. Some people are very, like, completely adore talking about airlines. It's called Layovers. It's on iTunes, obviously. You just look for Layovers. At the beginning, the first step is, you know, like, probably maybe, I don't know if it's the same with you. If you look at your, if you listen to your first episodes, my first episode, I cringe the first episode. I'm like, what, oh, what, yeah. were, what were we oh, doing? Yeah. <laughs> but at the beginning, we were, like, thinking we will talk about the startups. We were, like, we were very... Uh, 
structured in how we wanted to talk, you know, talk about startups, the technologies, the news, et cetera. And very quickly, it kind of became this thing where we talk about our own travels and we distill from our own travels, where is the state of industry, where it's going. We talk, of course, a lot of passenger experience because we both both are very much into uh, the consumer-oriented stuff. So, you know, we talk, of, of course, we talk about the seats. Of course, we talk about the service, the product, the brands. Uh, you know, what? I, I just flew for the... First time in a very long time, United to New York. So we talked about that in the last episode, which will be out in a few days. So stuff like that. So it's a, uh, and it's it's you know it's it's two guys talking, geeking out about about uh, uh, the industry. It's not only serious. Let's put it that way. Right. And I will say that um, I've been a subscriber for a long time, um, and Thank you. it was <laughs> one of the what the casualness behind it. I will say for all of our listeners who who aren't familiar with it, and I'm sure. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance you're probably have already heard of you all's podcast because uh, <laughs> there tend to be people that that listen to to multiple podcasts. You know, very few times do you run into someone that only listens to one. But um, yeah, I sure. will say that it was you know, the casualness, the conversations that you all had, and the idea of like, listen, it's just Paul and Alex talking. Um, you know, that was all inspiration for this podcast. So. Um, oh, wow. I appreciate. Yeah. So so I appreciate you all doing it. You know, I know it doesn't come out. Uh, the fact that y'all don't always come out on a regular schedule is, is comforting to me as well. Yeah. Who can't who can't always get to it. But <laughs> but when you do have conversations and, and sometimes it's like you, you start on these conversations that, that talk about what's happening in, in, in the Middle East or what's happening in Asia. Uh, and I then and the conversation will start and they're like, I don't care about that. But then by the time it's over with, it's it's I'm researching something or I'm trying to figure out something else uh, because all of these topics intertwine like we've talked about and, and they yeah, kind of all exactly. come back to one another. So um, and every Absolutely. once in a while, it'll give me, I say every once in a while, it'll give me uh, something I'll listen to and I'll hear from y'all's y'all's conversations. Well, then in a couple of weeks later, will come up in another conversation where I'll be able to seem like the smart person in the room where I'll say, Oh, well, did you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, uh, thank you. I mean, we, you know, again, it has to be, I mean, it's the way we're doing it. Like now it has to be conversation because I think that's what people, you know, I mean, there are other podcasts. There are many podcasts about actually aviation. I've listened to quite a few, quite a few alike, uh, including yours. Uh, it's just that the, the, the regularity is simply because we both, travel extensively for our, sure. our, our work. Uh, we're lucky to actually travel extensively. So it's sometimes hard to, to, to find a way to actually record and being on the same time zone or something with Alex. But, uh, it, and it's because we have all these experiences like you, because you do travel as well, that we simply talk about and then we take something we saw in our travel and try to make a point about it. It's not only that, oh, like United sucks. No, United, okay, might suck, depending on where you come from. <laughs> but why? We know what's the you know, of course, we're going to talk about the seat or whatever. You know, the, is there storage over in, in the seat? Uh, I, I don't know. I flew recently again. Uh, I don't know, Emirates. And Alex flew uh, first class in Emirates. So he's, talk, he's talking about first class. I talked about it like 20 episodes ago when I did the shower. Of course, that's stupid. It's not. We know that not right. other people would do a shower, and it's not even necessary in a plane. But I mean, it's cool because we've done it, and people enjoy that. And then we'll go into. Yeah, okay. Is that an actual business model to have a shower in a plane? And, you know, explain that, you know, on an A380, the front of the cabin of the, the upper deck is useless otherwise. So a shower was not a big cost, it was simply more like, a, you know, a marketing thing to say we have a shower and almost nobody will actually use it. But it's just things like that. And we do talk, like you said, we do talk, obviously, a lot. I, I do travel a lot to Asia myself. 
not only because I used to live there, but because I have still, of course, a lot of clients, of course, both of us in Europe. And we do travel in the U.S. Alex travels more in the U.S. He does more the West Coast. I do usually uh, travel in the East Coast. So we also have news. We try to balance, hard to balance, because you cannot do like, you know how it is. You have like an hour or something. You, know, you cannot like talk about every single country. We always have people that, right. you know, email us or Facebook messages and tell us, oh, why do you never talk about Brazil? I'm like, yeah, well, <laughs> we just cannot do it all. <laughs> so you, you'll see we tend to, you know, roll around the same airports and stuff. And the idea is as well that every single episode as an airport destination which at the end of the show we describe. So we say what, what we like about it, what we didn't like about it, how cool is it, the little quirks, and maybe something people don't know about the airport. So every airport, the last, the one that's going to be out soon is going to be, what is it? Uh, St. Petersburg in, in Russia. So that's going to be the, the next one. The previous one was uh, Itami, so Osaka in Japan. And we do like, we, we had most of the big airports in this world. And sometimes we, we don't hold back a lot. Sometimes we say they suck. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and, and, and kind of transitioning into the, the last thing I want to touch up on before we wrap it up here is because you are traveling, and one thing you and Alex do, um, whether it's for the podcast or just out of personal interest that I find interesting is highlighting those different airports, but you also go out of your way sometimes to visit airports that you've never been before. <laughs> um, so yeah. that's that's a, a gives you a unique experience, and, and, and I kind of want to hear – from your experience as someone who is real tuned into innovation and, and always looking for that quote unquote next thing, what are some of the airports in the world that are doing it right? Uh, there's a few that stand out. I mean, you know, the one that always stand out in any rankings that you might read, you know, the best airport of the world, Skytrax and all these guys, there's always two or three. And there's a reason it's Singapore, Shanghai, it's uh, Hong Kong airport and it's Seoul in Cheon. I'll just talk about the first two. Uh, Hong Kong, simply their app, they have now beacons. I know that they're starting to be installed in Cincinnati, Miami and other airports in the US, but it's coming. But they were one of the first to install beacons everywhere you can you literally arrive, you have to download the app, obviously, but you literally arrive and you're, you, you ha, you're surrounded by beacons. You're, you can know exactly, like, at the one, you know, super precise position. You're looking for something, where's your next gate? It's, it's a bit like hand-holding, but they will make your transition in the airport super easy. And it's, it's, these are airports that are made to, you know, when people talk about innovation, when people talk about how do we change travel, sometimes I want to shout at them, you know what, just let's fix what's already freaking yeah. broken nowadays, right? <laughs> not, let's not go into science fiction mode. Let's just fix stuff that, why is it that I, you know, security is so slow? Why is it that the layout of the airport is so slow? Sometimes it can, it can be little things, you know? And I think an airport like Hong Kong, for instance, also does, you know, the, the track, of course, like every airport, they don't go into like big brother mode. They simply look at where you go, where all of us are to make, uh, to find what are the better, the best path within the airport to go from point A to point B. Or if there's like too many people at some point to actually make change these paths to actually, you know, like, like you do with traffic, right? Um, mm -hmm. So these are, and for those who have never been, these are major airports like would be at JFK and LAX uh, in the US or Chicago, Atlanta. You know, they are very, very big airports. But compared to JFK, which is like seven airports, actually, because, you know, all these terminals, they have this kind of feeling of, of a whole thing. So when it looks, everything seems very natural. And when you transition there, when you're on layover, when simply you're looking for a flight to where is your gate, everything is logical you know and that mm -hmm. for me that's 
my best kind of benchmark. I want to don't don't do not have to think in an airport. You know, I'm there. I need to find gate 34. If I start to have to think where the heck is gate 34 because it's badly marked, then it's already that's one of these broken things. And it happens way more than you think because maybe you and some of the listeners here, we're used to travel. So we will blindly assume things and say, okay, this airport sucks, but I'll figure it out. But we are the exception. Most of the people in this world do travel maybe once or twice a year. So being in an airport is already something both extraordinary because, come on, they're going to embark on a travel and more often than not it's for holidays. But at the same time, it can be very daunting. And if the airport is not, you know, doesn't help because it's completely a pack of what you're supposed to do, then it doesn't work. So these two, I will say uh, Dubai airport is also interesting. It's probably now over capacity. It's a bit too many people. It's, if you've never been, guys, it's interesting because it's one of these airports where most of the traffic happens in the middle of the night, like at 2 a.m., for instance. Right. So it's a bit uh, a strange, strange way because, of course, of the time zone and where you want to land or depart for, they, that's the way to go. And also, it's not as hot. They also do stuff like, so they, they have a problem because they don't have uh, enough room. Uh, they, they cannot build anymore. You know, they, 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 they are building another airport, which is going to be like super massive, like 200 million passenger a year, something really crazy. But again, because they had these issues of how do we, solve our current situation, what they did is they use the same type of technologies with beacons and analyze where people are, what are we doing, and they better the flow. And they're able to double the capacity of a terminal building simply by making it simpler to walk through. So stuff like that is very interesting. You might not see it, but it's one thing that is very interesting as well in Dubai is the fact that, and that, that shows, of course, the integration with the state here, coming back to my point at the very beginning of this podcast, you know, your, your Skywards is the frequent flyer program of Emirates. If you're actually, if you, if you are a U.S. passport holder or Canadian passport holder that works with you, you can register your passport to be linked with the card, you know, the frequent flyer card that you get. Mm -hmm. And when, when you want to enter Dubai, you simply swipe your freaking flyer, uh, freaking flyer uh, card into a machine. And there you go. You're in the country. That's immigration for you. You're being pre-vetted by the simple fact that they did the pre-vet when they checked your passport, when you were registering it with a card. Of sure. course, this is, I'm not saying that will happen tomorrow with United or American Airlines when you enter the U.S. But I mean, it's interesting to see these Simple things that make uh, the uh, uh, an experience better. The last one I will mention, because I know I'm going along winding, the last one I will mention is the Gatwick here in London. It might not be the sexiest airport. It is not very sexy. Heathrow is the big airport in London, the, most, the one that most people know, especially coming from, from abroad. But because they're the second biggest, because they, you know, they're like the little brother that want to stand out, They've automatized so many of the things. You now go to Gatwick, and maybe next time, Chris, you'll be there, you'll see it. You really scan your boarding pass at every moment. You scan your passport. And basically, it's not that there's no human interactions. There are humans there. It's not that it's a purely robotic, but it's super fast because there's no hold. There's no hold because people talk and don't understand. It's very simple. You scan the QR code of your of boarding pass, the door opens, you get to security, which is very well done, super fast as well. You go to the uh, next gate, then you go to your actual gate. It, it, whenever the plane is ready to board, you scan again, you enter any fields, super, super. These are the little things that make something that can be sometimes daunting for people who don't travel or sometimes for me, because I'm a heavy traveler, I will say, 
why is it so slow, you know, and I get really right. like nervous. I mean, come on. And suddenly it works. So these are the airports that stand out. In the U.S. there's a few, I think uh, terminal, the international terminal LAX is very successful. I like what they've done with it. JFK could learn a thing or two there. <laughs> well, and I think that you 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 talked about the Emirates um, frequent flyer connecting to your passport. Um, I don't know if that could. I don't know. I don't want to make the assumption that it could be done because God knows I don't know the governmental log- logistics behind yeah, it. Exactly. But I would say that that is something that I would I would push the United States Airlines to look into, and that it's not that far fetched because you've started that process and you started those communications with PreCheck, right? And so you've got correct some yes. cooperation between TSA and and when you look into the global entry and the One World, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, Customs and Border Patrol on this side in, in the United States, you've got those communications happening with the airlines already. So that's absolutely right. something that could be and should be looked at from from a United States side. On your comments about Gatwick and, and kind of being the little brother airport next to uh, Heathrow, <laughs> it's really interesting to see that type of trend happen in the United States as well. And I will say that the flag, the carrier for that renaissance, if you will, where you're seeing these little um, airport, or not little, because by no means are their passenger size little when they're when they're dealing with millions of people a year, but smaller airports, um, and you're looking at the Oaklands next to SFO. Um, you're looking yeah, at yeah, the yeah. Dallas Love Field next to DFW and Houston Hobby next to Intercontinental. And even in where I'm from, in, or where I'm living now in Chicago, you've got O'Hare, which is obviously a huge airport, but then you've got Chicago Midway. The, Midway, the yeah, common yeah. theme between all of those airports is Southwest is the biggest carrier at all of the smaller <laughs> yeah. airports, and they prefer that, right? Like when Southwest comes yeah, into yeah, an airport, yeah. they like to take over the entire airport. They like to be able to provide their own passenger experience, and they, for all for cost-effective purposes, they appreciate the cheaper landing fees. Um, yeah. So it makes their cost yeah. of operations Absolutely. a lot cheaper. But it's really interesting to see that this trend of more and more people getting pushed into one airport that for you know capacity purposes can't expand or for budgetary purposes is more expensive to expand, it can't keep up, right? So like you're looking at the no. billions no. of people that are projected to be traveling over the next 10, 20 years you're going to have to see smaller, even regional or smaller hub airports start to pop up that are going to facilitate some of these big uh, cities. Now, when you're trying to fly into my hometown of New Orleans, right, they don't need a smaller airport, right? New Orleans yeah. <laughs> is a smaller airport. It's a smaller city in general, um, and, and they do facilitate a lot of passengers coming in and out of there, but they've got plenty of capacity to expand. But when you're looking at the hubs, yeah. the Hartsfields, the you know the New York the, pick any of the New York airports because they all pretty yeah. much suck. Oh my God! Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, True. When you're looking at when you're looking at those the LAX which has got a huge capital program I mean they're going to be spending billions of dollars over the next ten years there. Um, it, these smaller almost commercial service reliever airports are going to be playing more and more of a crucial role into it. So it'll be interesting to see how that evolves. Um, if there was and, a go ahead. No, no, I'm saying if we, if we look back to where we also started with, with the aircraft, Airbus and Boeing, I think Boeing has clearly the smash hit with, with the, the Dreamliners because these are the point-to-point aircraft. So not only for Southwest, because that's 
like domestic for international travel will see the same type of behavior. We're already seeing Norwegian. I know that Norwegian is contentious in the U.S. Again, there was a lot of lobbying sure. to block them, but which is a long haul, low cost carrier, which is the next, basically the next disruption after the the low cost with the Southwest Orion Airs, the Air Asia. Now it's the long haul, low cost, and Dreamliners allow. To, to do like point to point at two of these the airports that you mentioned, avoiding an Ether, avoiding a GFK, avoiding and going to tier two cities. And when I say tier two, it's not here condescending or negative. It's just that, you know, it's not only about lower landing fees, it's actually sometimes even better because there, there was this airline in Turkey actually called uh, Andalou, I think, I don't, I, never mind, it doesn't matter. But they were, so that would probably not happen in many countries because of privacy reasons, but they were tracking you basically. So you, Chris, would land at an airport, let's say, in ORD in Chicago. But where would you, at, where were you actually going? What was your actual endpoint that you might actually take a car and do a three hours drive to go to where actually you wanted? And without data, this airline, and it's not in the US, it was in Turkey, but you see the ID was. Where do people want to go? Oh, they actually want to go closer to there. That's where the majority, they're going to ORD in the hypothetical example I'm putting here because that's the choice they have. Right. But actually, there's an airfield that is underused because it's a very small airport. We as Southwest or X or Y airline could be using that airfield, getting lower uh, landing fees and actually satisfying a market. You might not want to land at RD every single time you do domestic because it's a huge big airport and it's complicated. Right. And uh, it would be more convenient to land at a smaller one. And they will automate. And you know what? That's the thing. Uh, the automation I mentioned at Gatwick that we see, and I've seen that uh, the immigration in the US, I really welcome the automation. It's not because I'm not against people here. It's just that sometimes <laughs> it's because, you, by the way, people are still there because they help you in case you're, you're, you're stuck. But frequent, there's this misconception that uh, a frequent flyer, because you're premium, let's say you always have business of first class, whatever name you want to give it, uh, you expect to have someone checking you in. Well, actually, on the contrary, most it, uh, studies reveal and polls and surveys reveal that very frequent flyer, you know, they almost want to be left alone all throughout. I want to come at the airport. I'm going to drop if I have this rear, but if I have some checking luggage, I want to drop it. And it's fine. Like if it's a robot that basically, you know, tags it or, you know, I print my own tag and I put it under uh, over a belt. And then I want to go to a lounge. I, I'm not going to over drink or I just want to have a little, some, some time to maybe do a few emails and then I'm going to go to my flight and I don't need end holding because I do that every single day. Maybe not every single day, but you see the point. Whereas right. most airlines think the other way, they think that, oh, because it's low cost and because people have only paid 99 bucks to do some travel, we will force them to a machine. It's not true. People would get used to it. People are already using their phones to do most of it. They, and the whole barcode thing. And to your point earlier about the U.S., I, don't, I doubt it will happen, but to, the, the cooperation between the U.S. authorities and the airlines, at some point down the line in our future, maybe not ours, but I hope so, you know, what makes a passport so much more uh, you know, safe and secure than something that is on your phone? There could be technologies that makes your phone as secure and that could be the thing that simply scanning gets you in a country we're still looking paper when talking about passports it could be 
I know we have this kind of inertia of thinking, no, passport is secure. That's why we've been using a passport for 100, for 100 years. That's why, no, maybe there's other stuff. And that's where innovation might take us at some point. And what I really love about the U.S., because I've talked about a lot of, and I have this kind of global view. What I like about the U.S., I, I complain a lot about traveling in the U.S. sometimes because some some stuff drives me insane. And then suddenly you guys come to a realization and you change it. You know, immigration for the longest time sucked in the U.S. And, and I have a visa waiver program. And like in a year, and that happened maybe two or three years ago, holy cow, suddenly it became, you said, okay, we're going to automate this. We're going to make it easy for people to come in. And the entire inbound travel from the experience in the U.S. changed in a day. And that I admire, this resilience and this ability to change overall at it sucks, it sucks, it sucks, and suddenly, boom, you change. And that's something that I admire in the U.S. because sometimes in Europe and other parts of the world, we keep saying it sucks, and we don't change anything about it. Right. Well, and the great thing about the United States also is that when we do change it, we invent it, quote, unquote, right? We're just like Apple, no, where true. we put a new technology in, and, and it's true. all it's, <laughs> it's a new technology that's no, been around true. for years and years and years. But when the United States does it, it's all and it, we it's brand new. It's invented, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> But to your point in terms of automation, and I, I think you're right, um, the passport is only secure because we think it's secure. Um, and I don't want to jump down. We can have a whole other episode on this, I'm sure. Um, but you're looking at what uh, new types of ways that technology is being just kind of maintained from a security standpoint. And I think as blockchain evolves, and I know some of our listeners Correct. may not be familiar with blockchain, and, and they um, – They've probably heard it, but I promise, listeners, we will have an entire episode that talks about blockchain and aviation soon. I'm working on getting some people together to have a good panel about it. But as blockchain continues to evolve, as this new facial recognition continues to evolve, you know, you're seeing the new iPhone with, yeah. with the facial recognition. These are all ways that people are becoming more comfortable with technology. And, and for, for, a absolutely, long time, absolutely. For, for a long time, you would never get you know, don't, no one would want your fingerprint, right? Because I don't want to give my fingerprint <laughs> to anyone. Well, because for so long, your fingerprint was associated with getting arrested, right? You got arrested, you, they took your mugshot, they took your fingerprints. And mm -hmm. so that was a bad, that was a bad connotation. And then uh, Apple, even when pre-check came about, you know, when pre-check came about, one of the things was, was you had to go and then I've gone through that process, you get, and they take, you know, you give your fingerprints and, and so on, so they can track you and identify you and so forth. Um, but then I, Apple comes out with the fingerprint reader and all the other smartphone manufacturers come out with fingerprint readers. And now people use their fingerprints to pay. So yeah. I think, and I was having this conversation the other day that I think that facial recognition on the iPhone is the first start to a long list of ways that people are just going to become more desensitized and more comfortable with the idea of being oh, tracked and, and using your face now to pay for certain things or to do certain things to the point where I believe um, that you will be able, and I don't know if this is going to happen in my lifetime, but at some point you will be able to walk through an airport, walk through a, you know, can a store or get a candy bar or a bottle of water, pick it up and walk out and not talk to anyone. And the way that you'll pay for that is there will be cameras and sensors around the airport that will see you and since you pick up the candy bar, say, Paul, you just pick up a Snickers bar. That Snickers bar is $1.50. They're going to get your picture. 
you know, they're going to take a facial scan of your face and then your credit card will be paid. And I think that's what the future will be. It's it's not that far off, and I'll give you a story. I was lucky to to being able to visit uh, Hong Kong Airport, uh, the backstage. So what you don't see as a passenger, there's a, I mean, not to the extent of uh, not stuff that is fully secret, but I was able to see the operation room, you know, with all mm-hmm. the cameras that are directed at us passengers. Facial tracking is already there, and it's already there for a simple reason. It's not it's not Big Brother style. Here it's like if you fall because you have you're fainted, for instance. Right, so they have alerts directly to direct someone to help the customer, or if there's a suspicious activity, like someone it could be someone running. That's that's not a flag by itself. You know, again, like to, we're talking here about about safety. We know that airports are very um, can be targets for for mm-hmm. malicious purposes. So they already have this. And the guy was telling me, the one of the director of the airport, I was I was looking at his tech and was like, but holy cow! I mean, you you are tracking faces, so you are able to tell that. X with there's no name on it, but X can went from A to B, which is hence what I said earlier about being able to to do better path within the airport. Now, in mainline China, where there's much less uh, 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 emphasis on privacy, right. you have the same type of technology, but your name is actually as soon as you enter Shanghai Pudong Airport. I have not seen it because I've never got granted the authorization to get there. But uh, as soon as you enter Shanghai Pudong, apparently after a, a very quick query, they'll be able to simply match you with your identity so they know that you're there. So you're, the technology you're talking about is actually very close. And we've seen that guys like Amazon have already trialed their Amazon Go, right. I think it's called, right. when you, you simply pick up stuff. And of course, it's your phone. It's not your face, but still your phone, you just you know swipe it at the end at the, at, uh, upon exit. And this, that's you, there you go. You paid for it, right? right. So where these technologies are, are actually more, more closer, and you, the big point is what you said is, are we comfortable with it yet? I'm not sure. But at some point, maybe not us, maybe our kids, or maybe us, because people were saying, oh, it's strange to do stuff with your phone. Like, it's, you know, you ask somebody seven, 10 years ago, would you buy a plane ticket with your mobile phone? 80% would say no. Now everybody finds it's normal, right? It's, it's, of course I'm gonna buy a plane ticket with my phone. Why, 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 why is it even the question? So maybe that kind of thing, the facial recognition that you're talking about, or any other type of recognition with DNA or whatever, will come super quickly, and we might even not see it. It will just arrive at some point. And last point here, because I think you raised something that reminded me of the, the cameras. You're seeing the cameras in an airport. Not only the cameras could be great to, of course, buy something in an airport and not having to think about paying, right? <laughs> but Imagine if the same cameras in Israel is doing that in, in Tel Aviv uh, and other airports are trying it as well. The existing cameras being retrofitted to also scan you. So meaning nowadays, you know, security TSA is one single point. Is at some point we're going to put you in a machine, you're going to raise your hands, you're going to have something ring around you. Green, you can come in our side. Well, imagine that these type of technologies could be always on you enter in the airport and you're already being constantly scanned when as long as you're green you're fine which means that at some point we could have not a single point of security you're just there by being there it's enough uh this we know that already you know a lot of these tsa stuff is a lot of security theater to make us feel you know secure and safe right well if you have cameras 
if you have cameras all around, maybe we will still want to have this kind of feeling of having a point of security, a check-in point if you want, but maybe one day we'll just, and can you imagine our parents did that? They entered an airport and they went to the gate without even asking anyone. I would love to see that before I die again, right? We don't have to go through removing your shoes and your bottles and stuff. Like, I hope that happens. So that's good things about technology. Yes. Well, um, with that all being said, <laughs> I think <laughs> I know we, we will, keep we will end this. No, yeah, we absolutely could. And, and we will, we're going to, we're going to wrap <laughs> this conversation up with kind of every, uh, it, it seems to be the same trend of every conversation about the future of technology where it basically comes down to George Orwell's worst nightmare, right? So <laughs> it's just a huge Orwellian nightmare um, through, through it all said and done. But this is the change. And like you said, uh, and like we've talked about, I think it's all going to depend on whether it's people that are comfortable with it and how quickly or how long it takes them to be comfortable with it, but also from an economic yeah. standpoint. And, and, and whether we're comfortable with it or not, if it saves people, if it saves companies money, or if they can make more money out of it, they will just push it down, uh, down our throats. They and will have to learn to adapt. And and I think you're <laughs> seeing that um, with the self bags, the self tag bag systems yeah. to yeah. Uh, check in. You know, to just checking in. And and in hotels, right? Like I when I, the hotels that I go to, I don't even have to stop at the front desk anymore. I just download the app and get the <laughs> hotel key right on my phone. So. Um, what that means for, for the hotels and for the airlines, it's one less person they have to staff, one less person they have to pay. So, um, Paul, but, I but, but let me, let me, let me, let, yep, me, let me just add one more th because you I want to finish on a high note because yeah. that was like, it's all really, <laughs> yeah. but at the same time, technology, we never had, let's go to travel to airplanes, never had as low as an accident rate. It doesn't happen anymore. You have. Look, for NASA and American Airlines have uh, partnered to improve cockpit displays to avoid you know, these human errors that we still have. Technology also saves lives. It makes our travel safer, better. We have Wi-Fi streaming. We can watch shit tons of movies if we want, even on a very short flight. Soon enough, we'll have maybe VR headsets and, and, and else. Of course, there's down our throat and you know big brother but at the same time come on technology is great we can create we can have airports maybe remote airports in places that it's way too cold and nobody we can have remote atcs stuff like that is absolutely fantastic as well so we have to kind of balance the yeah it might be a bit tough on our privacy the same time technology can also make travel so much better well i appreciate that yin to the yang so <laughs> <laughs> the upside to that downside because I, I am I am totally with you. I get conflicted on a regular basis how how excited <laughs> I get about technology and then take a step back and, and the curmudgeon side yeah. of me comes back and says, well, what does this mean for privacy? But no, you're absolutely right. Um, I had the pleasure, which is not something that I say often about uh, about air travel for most airlines because I do have, as you do, I'm sure, <laughs> I do have my one favorite. Uh, which people listening to this oh. to the airport to the to this episode or podcast know, but I did have the pleasure of flying on another airline the other day on a Dreamliner and got to watch Star Wars. Uh, the the, <laughs> the uh, what is it? The not the last one, the one before last. Basically, the the prequel the, to the one that's coming out now. So um, I'm all caught weekend. up on yes, I'm all caught up on my Star Wars. I'm ready to see the newest episode. Uh, and oh, you I haven't seen not, it yet. Oh, my God. I haven't seen it yet. But I am all caught up. I'm ready to go to the movie theater, and that would not happen without technology. And I did it in a very yeah, big, exactly. comfortable plane. So, 
So I yeah, come on, it's technology. I, as, as far as far as far as uh, as far as we're concerned, come on, we have a big metal tube up in the air that makes us travel. This is magic. That's it. Right. This is magic. Not even technology. It's magic. Right, right, right. Well, Paul, thank you so much. Um, if our <laughs> listeners so want to follow up with you, if they have any questions or just want to listen to layovers, where can they find you online? I think the easiest is they find layovers, uh, so layovers.2, or simply look it up on iTunes, layovers, and every single other uh, type of uh, podcast app. You'll find my name because my last name is freaking hard, Papa Dimitri. You, you will have forgotten it in five seconds. So look up layovers and then backtrack to the guy named Paul with a very long Greek name, and that's going to be me. Uh, honestly, that's, you know what? The good thing about having a, such a awkward name for uh, non-Greeks is that it's very good for Google SEO. I'm on top of Google results. If you Google me, so you'll find me very easily. My email is open. You'll find me. That's right. And I'll put the links to that. Maybe not your email. They'll find Thank it on you. their own, but I will put all the links <laughs> to that in, in the show notes. Thank you, um, and, and we will absolutely have to have you back uh, soon because I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, there's so many we, other things we could, yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Probably uh, we'll we'll pick a topic next time and and stay to it as opposed to this intro episode where <laughs> yeah. listeners got a little bit to learn a lot more about you. So, Paul, thanks so much again. Thank you I so much. I appreciate your time, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll chat soon. Yeah, happy travels. Thank you, Chris. Once again, we want to thank Paul for his time. Like he mentioned, we dropped the links to his Twitter and website in the show notes. Please do not try to spell his last name. That man's got more vowels. In that name than I think I've ever seen. Uh, we've also got the links to the Layovers podcast in the show notes. If you're not a subscriber, check out a few of their episodes and, and subscribe to their podcast. Him and Alex do a great job and they have a great conversation about airports that you probably would never cross in your journeys. Uh, speaking of subscribing, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast yet, make sure you do that. You can hit subscribe on any of your podcast apps. We're on iTunes, uh, Stitcher and Google Play, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you want to learn more about Runway VC or about the podcast, you can check out our website at www.runway.vc. You can always hit us up on Twitter, just Runway VC. There's no dot in, in the Twitter handle. Um, as always, we want to thank Bruno Massone. Bruno hooks us up with that intro music. He does a great job of mixing aviation noises with some great musical beats. Uh, it's great for focus music. It's what I use it for. Uh, just kind of put it on my headphones and, and knock out some work when I need when I need something going on in the background. Um, lastly, we want to thank the airport planning firm Cutchins and Grow for which this podcast would not be possible. If you work for an airport or you run in an airport need any type of planning work, whether that's a big master plan, environmental action, or even a little independent fee estimate, make sure you check out their website, which is cutchins-grow.com. That's www. K-U-T-C-H-I-N-S hyphen G-R-O-H dot com. Once again, thanks for listening and we'll see you on the next one.